Hey, did you get the envelope that was on the table in back there, Jeannie? Yeah, there's an envelope with your name on it, on that table where the glass jars are. morning. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. If you have any prayer requests, fill out the slip in your worship folders. We have things going on this week for your growth and edification. We also have the food bank that we uh, bring stuff to and also to the change for the baby needs. For he hath founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may descend into the hill of the Lord, and who will stand in the holy place. Psalm 24, 23. Let's sing together Christ alone. Steve, do you have that? to tell the gospel story in one song and I've been working on a particular melody associated with this idea for some time. <clears throat> Stuart Townend penned the incredible lyric which outlines the gospel message. <clears throat> he went on to say, I believe the lyrics of In Christ Alone succinctly express theological truths about the life, death, and saving power of Christ through his sacrificial death on the cross. <clears throat> Let's stand together and sing in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, burn through the fiercest
No matter how hard we try, we stumble and fall uh, victim to sin. The Bible tells us if we confess those sins, they will be forgiven. Please join me in in this morning's prayer of confession. Sovereign God, in the enthusiasm of life, we get caught up doing things that we are that are not always pleasing to you. Our quest for the pleasures of life gets our priorities out of whack and derails us and reveals our, our fallen natures. Those are the moments standing, there are moments standing in a checkout line for a few minutes. Our blood pressure rises because the person in front hasn't thought ahead to get their money out and pay, and it was really annoying. It pushed our patience. Lord, for the times we have had unkind thoughts towards others, for the little things, even words others have said, that we have let become big barriers in our lives and destroyed our relationships with others. God, forgive us for being so petty. For all the things we do and have said that could have easily annoyed you and made you angry, but you have forgiven us and showed extreme patience with us, we give you thanks. God, help us to be more patient and truly exhibit the love towards others that you have showed to us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Psalm 103, verses 11 through 13. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Our guidelines for living this morning comes from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of the wickedness in the heavenly places. Let's continue to worship, but let's stand together and sing, Meet Us Here.
grace of our loving Lord stems from Romans 5 verse 20. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. While most books of the Bible speak of God's grace, the Apostle Paul is especially known for emphasizing grace. The problem is that while we might believe in the theory of grace, Many of us have difficulty in believing that God will forgive us. This hymn reminds us that God overcame our doubts and our sin when Christ overcame death to save us. This hymn was written by Julia Johnston in 1911. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for all the blessings of life, but especially this grace that you've given us for all our sin. We thank you that we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, but because of your marvelous love, and this marvelous grace that we don't deserve, that, Lord, you give it to us because of Christ. We thank you, Lord. Please receive these gifts as tokens of our gratitude to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Praise, 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 praise,
Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, today we are so grateful that we can come to you in the presence and sing to you and give praise to you and be thankful to you and hear from your word. And also to Lord, to be able to um, lay out before you our concerns and our prayers. We pray for our nation, Lord. We love this nation. We pray, Lord, that it'll continue to move forward, Lord, that you'll put us on track and that the moral values of this country will improve, that, Lord, the church will stand up brightly. I pray for our president. I pray for our Congress. I pray for the executive branches of this country and the judicial branch of this country as they make decisions, Lord, and that we pray that... um, You can help us to make influence in those ways that the church will rise up and bring about the reformation that needs to take place in it. We pray about the violence and for those people who are angry about life. Lord, we pray that that will change and we can start working together as a team and honor you with this nation. We pray also, too, for those in our church that are going through struggles right now. I think of Anne. I think of Lucille. I think of Kay. I pray pray for Dean, I pray for Mary and for Joyce and for Joyce and her back. I pray also, too, for Monica and her <clears throat> thyroid. I just pray that you'll give the doctors wisdom in how to approach that. Pray for, I pray for Betty and John and their cancer battle. We pray also, too, for our sister Sharon. We thank you that she got out of the hospital. And, and Lord, I pray for her and Everett as they recover from their covid I pray also for Dan. I think of my <clears throat> nephew, Tom Henyon, and for his healing and for his liver to continue to be uh, uh, taken by his body, Lord, and that he can get back into the pulpit, back doing his dad duties with his children and his wife. I pray also too, Father God, for <clears throat> um, for some of the young men that we deal with, Lord, that are trying to help. I think of Ryan, I think of Jordan, I think of Dave, I think of Brady, I think of Eric, and I pray for Ricky, all these that are battling in their lives. Set them free, Jesus, and open them up. I pray for the Davis family, Father, and for the challenges that they have. And Father, for those in our congregation who are grieving, we have many in our church of lost loved ones. And I just pray, Father, that you'll continue to strengthen them and encourage them. And Father, for others, Lord, that we know things that are going on in our community, people around us that we love, we just lift them all up to you, Lord. And now today, Jesus, I pray for your word to come forth and that you, as we come and hear from your word, Lord, that we can learn something, something that will carry us through the week, something that will give us hope and strength. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On September 18th, 2020, a meteor came flying by the Earth, an asteroid in fact, and Mount Lemmon Observatory at the University of Arizona spotted it. It's nothing that you and I could have ever seen with the naked eye, even though it got real bright as it got close to the Earth. The naked eye could not have seen it, but dot the... uh, professors and the astronomers said that it became dangerously close to our world. We also go to the other spectrum. We go to a world where down deep in the ocean depths, they've developed machines now that can go way down into the depths of the sea. 
And now they're discovering that there are millions of specimens underneath the sea that we have no idea what they are, what their function is, and even their names. We're trying to add to them now. Two-thirds of the ocean dwellers, they say, are, are undiscovered, that we have nothing, know nothing about. And that the findings of the current biology foundation is trying to discover what they are. Well, today in our passage, Peter is going to open up to us something that's been unseen to us. And he's going to open a door of this world that none of us have been ever aware of. I've read this passage before. But it's a passage that's a very difficult passage. And yet in the midst of this, Peter is speaking to people who are persecuted by Nero, who's trying to build Rome to be a monument to himself, but has used the scapegoats of Christians so that he can build it and that he can burn it so that he can do his new thing. And because of that, Christians are suffering great persecution. In fact, Peter even calls it a fiery ordeal. Some of them have been burned by the stake, at the stake. And so Peter here speaks today to a group of people who he's trying to encourage still in this persecution they're feeling. And everything here in this paragraph seems to be so interesting and so deep that will surprise you, I think, some of you as you listen to what Peter has to say to encourage these folks. First, he says that Jesus died. It said, for Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, Peter gives us five facts about the death of Jesus. And, you know, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And Peter is showing us the humanity of Jesus who actually experienced death. Even though he was God in the flesh, he experienced death. And that we were finding that even in Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of Christ, many of the writers said that they had to cut out six minutes of that film because it was too horrific for people to watch how much Jesus suffered. And how much Jesus was depicted, how brutally he was beaten. And so what they did is they edited it and recut it and took six, in, six minutes out of that. But the message here today is that Jesus identifies with us. He knows our pain. He knows the difficulties that we go through. He had the physical sensation of the pain of the cross and of dying on it. Jesus early in his life, in his ministry, in John chapter 4, it shows us how human Jesus was when it says he got tired, that Jesus got hungry, he got fatigued. Mary watched him on the cross as he was dying, and she saw the pain and the suffering that he was going through. And Jesus, when he was rested in the garden, felt the pain from Malchus, whose ear was cut off by Peter, and healed it and put it back on. You see, here Jesus shows us that he enters in relationship with us. 
He knows what we go. He knows our pains because he's felt it himself. And that no matter what pain you go through, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Not only does he know the physical pain, but he also knows the physical, the, the mental devastation, the emotional devastation of what you go through, the struggles that you have. Think of what Jesus went through as he hung on the cross and as he was carrying his cross, the emotional pain of being rejected by his very close friends, his disciples. Think about that emotional pain that he had when Peter said he would die for Jesus and yet when a little girl asked him, he runs away and the rooster crows three times and Peter whips bitterly. Jesus understands the emotional pain. I was speaking with a person who's just gone through a divorce. And the emotional pain that they are experiencing right now. But I could assure her that Christ knows exactly the pain that she was going through after she had been betrayed and hurt by her husband. And then we also talk about the spiritual temptation that Jesus had. Here, Jesus didn't have any firewall to protect him from the pain. In fact, Jesus felt more emotion, the pain spiritually than we ever would have. Think of all the temptations that Jesus faced. And he was tempted just like we are, but then further on, he was tempted with this pain that Christ, as he hung on the cross, the darkness that started at 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus was experiencing the wrath of God being poured in his soul and dying for us and feeling the wrath that was the anger that God had for the sin of our life, he experienced it was a horrible death. It was a vicious death. But it was more than just the physical part that he was experiencing. It was this whole powerful anger of God being unleashed on him that we deserved that he received for us. And some of the people who were critics of the film of The Passion of Christ said it was gratuitous violence. No, it wasn't. Gratuitous violence, they meant by, the critics did, that it was too violent. You made it look too violent. No, that wasn't the problem. Is that they lessened the violence of the physical death that Jesus experienced during that film. And that we can't lessen that 2,000 years ago. That's what he experienced. He also experienced this tremendous pain inside of him of the pain and the suffering that he received because of the anger God has towards our sins. And that we also know that Jesus did it voluntarily. That Jesus took it upon himself to do. In Matthew's gospel, it says that Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels to take it all away. That's 72,000 angels, warriors, that could have taken it away. But instead, Jesus took it for himself. And that it was vicarious. That it continues on and it endures and it gives to us. All our sin goes on Christ and all his righteousness goes on us. And that's the vicarious work of the cross for you and I. And no one else was capable of taking this on. That's why he said, having been put to death in the flesh, and he was made alive 
in his spirit. Now here's a challenging thing of this passage. Christ dies for our sins. He experiences the pain for our sins. He dies, as Peter says, the just for the unjust. That means Jesus, the perfect one, dies for us who are imperfect so that we could have, what does it say? That we might be brought to God. That we might have reconciliation. And he does it once and for all. And that he takes it all away, the sin. And he brings us to God. And one of the things that we have to realize, and I was really touched by this this past week as I was reading John Stott in this book called The Cross of Christ. He talks about our sin and how easy it is for us to trivialize that sin. And yet if we really think about this sin, he says that that sin is the very thing that sent Christ to the cross. Our sin sent Christ to the cross. And it's the very sin that Christ came to die for so that we can become children of God. What a wonderful thing. And as he's telling these disciples that are being persecuted, because he wants them to know what Christ went for for them and the pain that Jesus suffered for for them. So that in their going through the pain, they know that Christ understands their pain. They know that he's given them victory over that pain. And he is strong through that pain so they can lean on him. And that he made it through it. And so this is why Peter says to us, so important that he experienced our suffering and pain. But then... Peter says something peculiar. He says, but he was made alive in the spirit. Now we know at the, on the cross, Jesus said, into thy hands I commit my spirit to, Jesus, to the Father. But here, it says he was made alive in the spirit after he died and was alive. And then he went to the Father. But what else went on there? And this is where Peter opens up a door for us to look in and see. Notice what he says in verse 19. In which he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, and when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark. Now what the Bible here is saying to us, and what Peter is saying to us, is very hard to understand. Martin Luther even said it's beyond him and how hard it is to understand. But what he's talking about, that Jesus... When he died and he went to the Father in heaven, that's not all he did. He went to this place where he proclaimed to the captives in prison that were being held for God's judgment. And this is an encouragement to these people. Why? Well, we'll see. First thing he does, who are these spirits in prison? Well, the question comes, and here we find that... Um, you know, some believe that, for instance, on the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, they said he, uh, he uh, died and went to hell. And that he came and got the prisoners that were locked in the Old Testament out of Hades and brought them with him to be resurrected. But that's not true. What Peter is talking about here goes back to the days of Noah. And back in the days of Noah... 
there took a place a very sinful, terrible, and that's why God destroyed the whole earth except for the eight people in Noah's boat, was because not only was the world so evil, but also angels had come and inhabited the bodies of men and had relations with the beautiful women in that day. And because of they crossed that line, the barrier from their angelic beings into the human world, it was even more disgusting for God and how angry he was for it. And so in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, it says, And now it came about that when the man began to multiply in the face of the earth and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, angels, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And they started this whole different tribe of wickedness and hard rulers and stuff. And that the Bible tells us that God, then when the flood came and washed out the whole earth, that they were sent to this place called Tarsus, a special place that they were held as prisoners and kept so that they could not. And, and, and we see that in Second. Peter, where he says, For God, whereas God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment. It did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others. And when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And see, this is what happened is God sent them when the flood came and they killed those folks they were sent to hell and to the special place of really of a holding for their final judgment by God. And that what we see in, in Jude then, it's followed up by that. And it says the angels did not keep their own dominion, but abandoned their proper abode, which was their angelic existence. He was kept in eternal bonds until darkness of judgment of the great day. And just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as they indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now, why does he bring up Sodom and Gomorrah, who was not part of this? Because it was a similar thing that happened with Lot. And that these angels came to Lot to tell him of his deliverance, but the men of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to have relations with these angels and do this abominable thing to God in the homosexual act with angels. And the same thing took place with these other angels who stepped beyond their boundaries of angels and had relationships with physical women of that day. And because of that, they were put into a special place of judgment called Tereta, which is, um, and, and so what happens is that Jesus, Tereta's, goes down and proclaims to them that because of the wickedness and the evilness of them, he doesn't proclaim the gospel, it says he preached, but what he preached to them is their judgment because of their sin of which they had done and committed and how wrong that was and before God's eyes. And so they were under a special judgment of God. Now, why does Peter say all this? Why does Peter put this in his book? Well, because of the gross 
immorality and, and not judge, justice that the people were, not, were experiencing in Peter's day. They were not receiving justice. They were being treated harshly and poorly. And injustice was taking place in their lives. And what Peter is saying to them, you know this that happened back in Noah's day a long time ago? God still has them reserved for judgment, and he's not through with them yet. And for those of you who are going through injustices in your life, realize this, that these injustices, God will bring about justice for you. Do not worry about it right now. He'll take care of it as he did in the days of Noah's people. And that he will clearly take care of it. And that you don't worry about how good you do. Or how well you have changed the people of your society. A lot of them are not changing. Who wants to say they commit themselves to Christ and then possibly be dragged behind the chariot or be lit on fire? There's not many people who are going to sign up for that. And he's saying to them, Noah, look at what he did. He preached 120 years as he built the ark. And even in his 120 years, there were only eight people who got on that ark and listened to his message and were changed and were saved by God in that ark. And he said those floodwaters... Those floodwaters were the floodwaters of judgment to those people. That they were taken out and they were killed. And those angels had overstepped their bounds. They have a special place where God is holding them right now. And justice will take place in their lives. And they will pay for what they did. And folks, I don't know about you. But that brings comfort to me. When I see sometimes the injustices in our world. You see them. You watch it on TV. You see the injustices. The other day, I was my heart still burns inside of an injustice of a friend of mine that used to come to this church. And he sent a picture. And it was a picture of his granddaughter 11 years ago. She was playing in her neighborhood in front of a fire truck that firemen had stopped in their neighborhood and to show the kids the fire truck. And that little girl, two weeks later, was murdered. The person who did it never was prosecuted. That injustice still hangs over this world. And the ground, the Bible says in the Old Testament, cries for justice. But knowing what Peter is saying here gives me comfort to know that that little girl who is in heaven with Jesus right now will experience justice for being mistreated and hurt and murdered by this person. And that God will bring his justice to full fruition at that time. You know, we get very discouraged. I know I do. I get very discouraged when I see injustice. When I see people who get away with murder or abuse children. You're... 
or when they have to see horrific things. A few months ago, I was called down to the MICU to spend time with four little children who watched their mother's boyfriend shoot their mother in front of them and try to help them and get them talking. And for those little children, they will get justice. Their mother's boyfriend is going to prison, but their heart still breaks. And that God's justice will bring about righteousness and justice. And that's what Peter is saying to these people who are being so mistreated, who have loved ones being dragged out of their houses and beaten, dragged behind chariots, burned at the stake. And he's saying to them, this old sin from centuries ago will finally get justice fully in God's eyes. And then Peter takes them to another level again. And he talks about Christ's rising. He said, in, 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 in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. They didn't receive the judgment because they listened to the preacher. They listened to Noah and got on the ship. And that they were saved and brought safely through the water of judgment. Corresponding to that, the baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but the appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying here is that when we take people and we baptize them and we put them under water, they are being washed, but it's a, really a ceremony of what's taken place already in their hearts. That God has washed clean their sin through the blood of the cross. And because they're believing in him, and this baptism is a symbol of their belief and faith in Christ, that they are, have their sin removed forever. And that they have a good conscience now. And they have the hope of the resurrection of which they will live eternally with God forever. With no pain, no suffering. And that that baptism is truly the cleansing. For some people, baptism is a reminder of death and judgment. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, it's life and hope and joy. And that we find that we see with the greatness of what Christ did for us. And this is what's so hopeful for these people. That even though there are not many people, there are those who trusted Christ. Those who trusted Noah to get on the boat, they were saved. And it assures us of Christ's greatness and the power that we have to overcome our sin. That as we obey him, we truly find joy and victory over our own sinfulness. And that even though we may be small, the Bible here says to us that we have victory. And that baptism shows us that God will judge sin. But also in that judgment, he will wash away our sin and give us eternal life. And that we will rise again victoriously. 
and that we don't have to fear anymore what men will do or what men will say. And then he will go on to say, and who is that at the right hand of God? Having gone to heaven after the angels and authorities and powers have been subject to him. Peter is saying to them, do not fret. Do not fear. We have the victory. And that Christ who now lives in heaven, who ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty is the one who is Lord over all. Jesus Christ is not only Lord over heaven. Jesus Christ is Lord over hell. Jesus is Lord over the universe. And that one day we will be fully realized that with those who are already in Christ have died in the Lord and experienced that. And that Jesus has the authority and shows us that no matter how bad we may wind up in persecution. You know, we've been fortunate in America not to be persecuted that much. There's subtleties right now. There's people working in halls of government to try to pull away from the Christian's power to be able to do things. There are things that they're trying to do to eliminate our freedoms as Christians. But that's okay. Because Christ is in control. And we know this will strengthen the church if the church stands by faith and stands firm. That's us. And that we arm ourselves in the power of Christ. That we as Christians should expect opposition. We are blessed in this country so far to not have that much opposition. But it's coming. There's a group that is working underneath that wants to pull away Christianity from it. You can have other religions, but they don't want Christianity. That we also understand that we have to have faith and trust in Christ as we stand up for ourselves. That we need to know answers to give them of the hope that we have in you that Peter spoke about two weeks ago. And that we don't fail in our attempts to lift up Christ and to be identified with Jesus Christ. And that we show that we're so committed to him into what he desires for our lives. You know, it's unbelievable as we look at this life. And there are people who want to do us in. I think of some of the people that now are looking at Christianity as an eyesore. Something that stands in the way. Keeping them from enjoying their lives. Bertrand Russell he said, Christianity does make sense, but he said, I haven't given myself over to it because he enjoyed the sinful life he had. And if he gave his life over to Christ, he knew he would have to change his life. Even though it made sense to him and what Christ had did for him, he wouldn't because he liked the sinful life he had. And our world wants to keep doing what it's doing. It doesn't want Jesus, Lord. 
And we have an opportunity in our day to be those people who stand up. And that we don't have to be successful. We just have to be faithful. To stand for what Christ really means to the society. That we see the moral values as they erode. And they are. But that's where we stand tall. And show the world that those moral values were given by God in a special way. And that as we stand for Jesus Christ and the victory we can have over death and life. That those values are so critical to this society. But the way it comes is through the change of the heart. It came through the renaissance of our society. That we need to start a Christian renaissance. A reformation that will change the hearts of men and women. So that our grandchildren and our children can see the beauty of what God has created in this wonderful word of his and the life he wants us to share. And so today, that we understand that if we do experience persecution, that we remember what Christ did for us, he died for us. And that we understand that justice will be coming. Some of the injustice that we see will be revolting to us. Some of them have been to me already. But that's okay. All justice will be resolved at the end with Christ. And all the inconsistencies that our justice system can fill. And in this world and the injustices that many have experienced will then be made right and just. And that we will be able to see it from the perspective of God. Because he has brought the judgment to the earth. But he's brought justice to our hearts. And he saved us by the washing of the sin from our hearts and giving us eternal life through Christ. And that now, at that time, at the end, we will see him reign over all. And we will rejoice because we are part of that great family of hope. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for what you've given to us. I thank you that you died for us. That the pain that you felt as a human being understands our pain and our suffering. That the pain that you felt on the cross in those three dark hours, that we don't have to experience hell, fire, and judgment. Because you did that for us. You, the just one, died for us unjust ones. And that, Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have. That you will bring justice to this earth. And that we thank you that our sin has already been justly taken care of. And that you have justified us 
so that we can be called children of God. Help us, Lord, to live vibrantly in this world and at peace no matter what comes our way. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's please stand for the final benediction. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.